Welcome to Big Fish Stories, the podcast dedicated to telling the real outdoor stories of adventure, hunting, and fishing. For the outdoors men and women who get lost in the stories around the campfire, this is the place for you. My name is Tyler Hendricks, located in the great state of Idaho, and today I have with me the great Leo Corrales. Uh, Leo is not a hunter. He just started getting into some fly fishing. Um, but Leo's diet has typically been plant-based for most of your life, right? Uh, past eight-ish years or so. Eight-ish years. Yeah. What led you to wanting to do a plant-based lifestyle? Um, yeah, that's always a question I get. Um, it really was just kind of like a lot of internet research, just seeing that stuff posted around, kind of considering it for environmental reasons, mostly, uh, some ethical stuff, but it really kind of culminated in a ski trip down to Salt Lake city. Mm -hmm. And I had one too many in and out burgers. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at it and going, yo, this is, this is just gross. Right. Um, and after that, I just kind of started not really eating meat or fish, Mm -hmm. never been into dairy. And so mostly plant-based. I eat local eggs, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I remember the first, uh, couple years that, uh, Leo does a lot of work in our business called dark to light productions. Um, uh, and he's a photographer, videographer, and he's great at it. Uh, but I remember I would ask the dumbest questions looking back on it, mainly because I wanted to be educated about why choosing a plant-based diet. I've been hunting and fishing my whole life and and gathering from the land and that's what I eat. But I was very curious about why Leo had chosen this. Um, and I remember asking dumb things like, where's your protein come from? And you'd be like, how do cows get their protein? Like very, very black and white. Like don't ask me stupid questions. But now like as time has gone on, it seems like we both seem to really understand each other. Um, and you even started doing things like fly fishing. You've always been an outdoors guy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about just what's, what, what draws you to the outdoors in general? Yeah. I mean, so I was born and raised in Sun Valley and so pretty much skiing, mountain biking, hiking, the mountains are all within 10, 15 minutes of my house. Even some of the canyons are literally a five minute walk. And I don't know, my parents got me into it super young and it's always been a place that feel free. I feel comfortable in. Um, and it's like the one driving force that I just always want to keep getting outside doing a new, you know, climbing route, skiing, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it just gets me more soaked than almost anything else. And so it's, it's pretty easy just to have that kind of be the focus of what I like to do. Yeah. Cause when I first was talking to you about hunting and I think it, I think I was in the middle of a hunting season telling you about my hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, and you seemed so intrigued. You were like, ah, that sounds amazing, but you're also not eating that meat. Um, So I think a slow transition for you is you started fly fishing. Mm -hmm. How's that been for you? Pretty good. So uh, I went to school over in Walla Walla, Washington, and I think it was the first summer after COVID. um, I have two buddies, one of them from Oklahoma and one of them from Texas slash New Mexico. And the dude from Oklahoma just every day, he's like, all right, I'm going fishing. Like I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And here I am sitting in our fraternity house, super bored, playing video games all day. He's like, yeah, like I have an extra rod. You want to come out? Like, sure. I haven't fished in, you know, 10 something years. Why not? Um, and pretty quickly I, after catching a couple, you know, trout on the Wallawa over in North Eastern Oregon, it just kind of clicked. I was like, yo, this is really cool. 
Um, it's a cool way to interact with nature. Like catch and release is awesome. I don't actually have to, you know, take anything's life if I do the technique properly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was really fun. We, and pretty much the whole rest of the summer into that fall, it was almost every day. Like, all right, we're going fishing. We're going to go camping. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both big fishermen from different places. Um, you know, my friend Charlie from Texas grew up doing stuff in like Florida and kind of the more tropical stuff. He'd mm-hmm. gone on fly fishing trips to India, the Andaman Islands. And then Nick's just a good old boy from Oklahoma fishing out of dams and stuff. And so just, I don't know, their excitement on it really kind of led me on to it. And as my buddy Nick moved up to Alaska to do fisheries research, he gave me his rod mm-hmm. um, and I bought a reel and I've pretty much been into it since. What is it about fly fishing that keeps people going back? I, I have to admit, I, I love fishing. Um, bass fishing is my thing. I compete in tournaments. Fly fishing seems like you catch less fish, but there's something about it that everyone's so drawn to. And Mm -hmm. I've done it. I've done it a few times here and there, but all I can think of is if I threw a worm on the end of this hook, I would guarantee catch something. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is it about fly fishing for you? Yeah. I think we've had this conversation before and you put it pretty well that there's kind of a hunting aspect to it Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of technique, a lot of thought that gets put into it, whether it be, you know, where you're casting in the river, what river, what time of day, Mm -hmm. um, what fly, what technique. And I'm a pretty like technically oriented guy. I really enjoy researching that stuff, trying to get it right. Mm -hmm. Um, and something about that is just really fun. It kind of takes a lot of skill to make it happen. Cause one of my other buddies, we take him out there and he just casts like a robot and doesn't catch anything. And me and my other buddy are doing, you know, (laughs) real, whatever things pink. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, yeah, that was awesome. And it was also another really great way to kind of, I'm usually up in the mountains hiking or whatever and, uh, being down at a river, but in the mountains was just another cool way of engaging with stuff. Right. And being in Walla Walla, there's not the same sort of like rock climbing or mountain biking sort of stuff that there is in Idaho. And the fishing was kind of like the best outdoor option. And so that was just what I was drawn to and got a lot of good trips out of it. Do you find a lot of people who, uh, who do participate in a primarily plant-based diet also interested in things like fishing or hunting? I mean, generally not as much. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there are people out there, um, but yeah, I mean, not as much. I mean, you're going to find a bunch of vegans who go skiing and mountain biking and right. do that sort of stuff, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would definitely say that it's yeah, a smaller because, percentage of the population. Right. Because, you know, it could be misconstrued misconstrued as, mm-hmm. you know, treatment of animals poorly mm-hmm. or, or something like that. Um, do you feel like there's a lot of. Uh, probably from lack of conversation like this, do you feel like there's misconceptions on both sides of what hunters and what fishermen are and, and vice versa, um, hunters and fishermen interpreting what plant-based diet means? Yeah. I mean, certainly there's, uh, like stereotypes on both sides. Um, I've gotten crap from, I've gotten crap and I've also not gotten crap from, uh, you know, hunters and fishermen about it. Like, Oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? But on the other side of things, it's almost, um, the divide at least I've seen is almost like a urban versus rural thing mm-hmm. where I like at school, there's a bunch of, you know, kids from like Seattle, Portland, bigger cities in the West. 
and I have to explain and kind of defend hunting to them as like a ethical, sustainable source of getting food because mm-hmm. they just think it's a bunch of rednecks wearing camo <laughs> shooting deer. Right. And like, yeah, it kind of is. But at the same time, like there's a lot more to it. Right. Um, and so to me, that's kind of been the most interesting thing. It's like I'm defending hunting, being mm-hmm. from Idaho, not as a hunter, and I don't eat meat. Right. Um, but I still see, I don't know, like I've grown up around it and I know a lot of people and you've been a big influence on that kind of like uh, shedding the sort of misconceptions and stereotypes and explaining the way that you hunt ethically and morally and your thoughts through it. And that's mm-hmm. been like a huge convincing factor for me. Yeah. Cause I think, I think true hunting and, and, and true fishing, I think you care so much about these animals. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're not doing it right. If your mentality is to just kill, 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 and it's not about the meat, yep. it's not about, giving yourself sustenance or your family sustenance that's clean. Um, I, I think you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would hope that hunters like me would be just as hard as, uh, uh just as hard on these other hunters that are not doing it ethically, mm-hmm. um, as plant-based people are, uh, cause you're choosing to be plant-based mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons. But I think a lot of it stems from, how unethical our meat is harvested these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate the idea of thinking of cows and pigs in slaughterhouses. Um, and that's what they're raised to do. Mm-hmm. And they're killed at, you know, six to eight right. months. I hate that thought. Yeah, totally. Um, and for hunting, there's something about going into the wilderness and choosing an animal. And especially the more you get into it, uh, being able to choose an animal that, you know, maybe living its last year, maybe it's seven years old, um, being able to take one that may not have much life left. Mm -hmm. Um, to me that, that seems the appropriate way to view hunting. Um, and even when I shoot something, like I still get teary eyed when that animal drops and I walk up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and this year you had your first experience of some real hunting. Oh yeah. Um, Tell me what your expectations were going into this. Maybe t- tell me a little sure. bit about the program sure. um, and then your expectations going into it and uh, and what the reality actually right. was. Yeah. So for context, this was a video shoot for Hunt of a Lifetime, which is a nonprofit that takes kids with life-threatening illnesses on hunting and fishing trips. Mm-hmm. And this was a nine-year-old kid uh, from out east and his dad, and they came out to do an elk hunt in the Owyhees, Mm -hmm. just south of Boise. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, You told me it was probably going to be some sort of country dudes we're going to go hunting, (laughs) and that was about it. Yeah. And uh, And I was right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely (laughs) right. It was great. It was one of the most cool trips I've ever had, honestly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really cool. We just got to go ride buggies around and hang out and see the most amount of elk I've ever seen on a huge trophy parcel. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of got to take a lot in of like the stalking and the, you know, picking up the footprints and the smells and where they're going. And that whole like strategy process was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and even on a, even on a yeah. a trophy yeah. hunt, it's still difficult. Oh like, yeah, every morning, every, in the evening, we'd see all these huge bulls, and mm-hmm. we'd say, "All right, we're coming here tomorrow. Show up tomorrow." There's not a single animal there. Right. Have to move around and mm-hmm. keep stalking them all over. Um, 
yeah, and it was a crazy experience. It was also remarkably the least amount of crap I've ever gotten for being plant-based ever, <laughs> which I literally had to bring up to everyone in camp. Like, hey, by the way, um, are you guys going to roast me for this or, or is it, are we cool? Right. And they're like, oh, I guess it's kind of dumb, but whatever, man. <laughs> yeah. It's and true. even like at a, like a, you know, like ritzy private liberal arts college, I got right. more crap than right, a bunch right. of hundred dudes in Idaho. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was really rad. And, uh, the only time I saw one person get riled yeah. up was actually the kid. Yep. The kid was nine years old. Uh, and he was a tough kid, like yep. tough, just mentally. Oh, yeah. Like all he wanted to do is hike. Let me go here. Let me go here. Mm-hmm. Let me go here. Let me shoot this, shoot this. Someone <laughs> needs to sit him down and yeah, absolutely. tell him he can't shoot everything, mm-hmm. but that's what he wanted to do. He just super, super energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, Leo and him were wrestling around the campfire, and I think I said something as as Leo was like showing him what's up because he's nine years old but super tough. No, he was and strong. He was knocking Blaine, oh, the, yeah. the the guy running the program, out Dude's of his like chair. Six four, literally just flip his, his chair. chair. Yeah, um, uh, I had to finally yell, "Are you gonna let? Uh, are you gonna let a vegan beat you or vegetarian yeah, he got beat up. you?" And he got all <laughs> riled up. That's about the most amount of shit you received the entire trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was also really cool just to kind of having heard so much about hunting from you and starting to kind of like look into it and just feel more about it eventually actually seeing that firsthand and watching a bunch of super experienced dudes like, um, yeah, really make it happen for this kid. It was awesome. And the crazy thing was I thought because uh, to recap the hunt a little bit, we had I think we'd been out there for a couple days and, um, and Leo and I had split up. Leo was operating a camera on top of the Ridge. So mm-hmm. he was viewing all of these elk that we were stalking. Yep. And so he had the chance to see all of these elk, you know, in their natural habitat, they're fighting, they're in full rut. Yeah. It was sweet. Um, and, and then we're trying to put a stock on them and get within shooting distance. We get up on this platform, um, and we get up on this like land platform, uh, just, you know, maybe 200 yard shot from all these bulls. I think there's 11 bulls, something mm-hmm. crazy like that. Um, and the kid has his opportunity to choose which bull he wants to shoot. And so he chooses, of course, the biggest one. Um, there were other choices. There were, there was one with a really cool split main yep. beam, um, that I probably would have taken, but he wanted the very typical big bull, um, and so he he chooses this bull, and he's so shoot happy that he doesn't take a ton of time to, to pull to pull the trigger, and he does make a bad shot. Sometimes it's part of hunting. When you're nine years old, mm-hmm. you can you can make a bad shot. When you're eighteen, you should feel real bad about that. <laughs> but nine nine years old, you can make a bad shot. Sure. Um, so he shoots it bad a few times before he finally gets to put it down. And there was definitely some suffering from the elk. Um, and all I could think of was shit. This is the last time Leo participates <laughs> in any sort of hunt because I was thinking you would be so concerned about the animal and tr- and we are mm-hmm. like I am sure. and I know you are, but still even experiencing a bad hunt, you came down like that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It was incredible. And especially watching, you know, a kid takes the pictures with the elk and mm-hmm. everyone started getting to town. You know, we threw the time lapse lapse camera up mm-hmm. and it was just so cool to see like the detail and the knowledge that these guys had of how to clean the elk, how to pull every single last bit on, mm-hmm. throw it in packs, give it to everybody in the group. And 
what's left is organs and some bones. It yeah. was, it was really remarkable. It's cool. Right. And I think that's, I think that's something that I'm learning more and more is that, you know, I think the next step for me, if I really wanted to take that extra step, um, I think I could become plant-based if I want, if I decided I couldn't do the hunting anymore, mm -hmm. if I decided emotionally, I couldn't handle it anymore. I could definitely see myself going plant-based. Um, I feel like it's that close mm -hmm. to making that switch. And I also think it, it could be that close for a lot of plant-based people to go, you know, I, I do think that there's some sustainability in hunting and I do think that I can, I can participate in that. Mm -hmm. I think that they're actually closer than, than people have made it out to be. Um, especially between like the extreme end of being a vegan mm -hmm. and then you have PETA and all that kind of stuff that are rough around the edges. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think they would ultimately say if you switch to being a hunter, you'd be a traitor. You'd be right. like, <laughs> they probably would. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be like outcasts. You know, I don't know what they do to you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think they're actually closer than, uh, than a lot of people think. Mm -hmm. I don't go to the grocery store to buy burger. I don't buy, I don't go to the grocery store to buy any red meat. Right. My red meat is provided every single hunting season. Mm -hmm. And I remember it being shocking to you when, um, I told you one deer, one mule deer can last my wife and I small family can last us an entire year. Mm -hmm. if We butcher it correctly. Yep. Um, and an elk can last two or three years, uh, and probably a couple families, mm -hmm. two years. Right. Um, so there is some sustainability there, uh, compared to a lot of the meat that's wasted in, in these slaughterhouses and, just the mistreatment uh, mm -hmm. with animals in general. Um, what did you think about the people, the mm -hmm. actual people in, in this, you know, originally you probably are thinking I'm going to deal with a bunch of redneck hicks, mm -hmm. um, in Idaho who are, you know, who are just out to shoot things. Right. What was the reality of the people? That yeah. You met? Yeah. I mean, I think just like at a, at a base level, I try to be like pretty open-minded when it comes to people. I mean, despite me having, you know, this like plant-based lifestyle, like I've still grown up in Idaho. I'm still pretty familiar with this sort of like country lifestyle, hunting, being in the mountains. Cause at the end of the day, it's really not that dissimilar to people who ski and hike or whatever. You're just mm -hmm. doing slightly different sports. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw an incredible amount of kind of compassion and care for not only the hunt itself, but really for the program they were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, we are the only paid people there for the video. Yeah. Everybody else there, there's probably, on any given day between eight to 15 volunteers, a hundred percent there to make sure this thing happens, to make sure people have water and are happy mm -hmm. and that this kid gets elk. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool to kind of see that like total volunteerism because I don't, I honestly don't know, even if it was one of the more popular, you know, maybe ski or outdoor nonprofits up here in Sun Valley. Mm -hmm. If, um, the people who, I don't know if people would show up the same way, right. To be totally honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course there was some, uh, funny comments by certain people, um, <laughs> which if we were in any other situation, we might get, you know, some weird looks, but we're up at elk camp and that's just how it goes. You say what you want at elk camp. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how, ha how have you felt, have you felt like your perspective on hunting and fishing, especially since you started doing some fly fishing mm -hmm. has changed and evolved? And what do you think, uh, that, 
leads to the future with you. Right. Do you see yourself participating in hunting? Right. Um, I know that you do have like, you know, you have a story about having to eat a fish. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So forcing that, like, I have to eat this fish now is a totally weird perspective shift from mm -hmm. what it used to be previous. Yeah. Going back to the sustainability part, um, I actually think hunting can be a lot more sustainable than a plant-based lifestyle. I think about like all the plastic and transportation and cardboard and processing that comes in with like vegan meat, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely a lot more than driving your car up north and getting the elk or a deer and cleaning it and bringing it back home and throwing it in your freezer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely been like a weird point of contention that like, as you said, as I've started in this journey, I've had to rethink through a lot mm -hmm. because <clears throat> at the end of the day for me, it really kind of is about the sustainability part mm -hmm. because I want to continue to be, to go outside the places I love and have them be the way they were 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a kid or whatever, I don't want to see these forests disappear. I don't want to see these ecosystems totally collapse because of global warming, climate change. Um, and so it is a strange thing where I don't want, I don't necessarily want to be the person to go out and, you know, kill an elk or a deer, for example, mm -hmm. I would certainly rather do that than eat store-bought meat. Um, and yeah, it's just like a weird thing that I definitely have to think about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm ready for it yet, but it's definitely a possibility in the future that if I'm at a place where hunting is, you know, accessible and makes sense to do, um, and that I really do truly see that as the best choice for my own sustainability, then that's kind of the route I would go. Cause like I said, keeping that sustainability at the forefront of like how I eat among other things is the most important. And if that's going to be more sustainable than eating much of, you know, plastic package transported vegan meat, then I'd probably rather do that. Well, and I love, I love how that is the number one focus for you. Mm -hmm. Even it, even beyond the label of, I don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you told me about, um, accidentally having a foul hooked fish mm -hmm. that wasn't going to make it. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes I think a lot of, uh, of plant-based people make a, why well, don't, I don't eat meat. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing I can do for right. you. It's about the sustainability mm -hmm. and this fish can't live. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah. And yeah, we ate it. I mean, that was one of our fishing trips. Um, got a fish and, uh, didn't think my friend was going to take it and he mm -hmm. took it. Um, and at the end of the day, I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like I was there for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I fished the whole day with him. It took him six hours to get anything on his line. He eventually got it and it's 11 o'clock at night. We don't have any other food. We're cooking up teriyaki, you know, salmon, mm -hmm. and that's what I'm having for dinner. Awesome. And yeah, it was, um, it wasn't one of those things where like you take, I, I've, I've heard stories of new vegetarians, new vegans <laughs> three weeks into it. They're like. I'm just going to have some bacon and they eat it and like feel like crap. Right. They just are like, Oh, like why did I just mess up my own values? Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel any of that. You know, I was like, this is a wild animal. Like three of us are sharing one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, we're there for the whole thing and I'm not going to do this every day, but in this situation, I feel like this is the best choice. And so yeah. we, we ate some fish, right? Yeah. No, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I love that. That's the priority is the sustainability. Right. Um, and I did witness you eat, uh, was that your first red meat? Yeah. First red meat yeah. in a long time. In like a long time. Tell, tell that story about how that happened. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I, I like to show compassion and be nice to people. And, um, this kid on the cell coat was a pretty rowdy dude and 
hey, Leo, um, if I get an elk, will you eat it? Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Go for it, man. <laughs> so I make a deal with his kid, um, partially hoping he'll forget about it. Right. And of course he doesn't. And <laughs> so, he yeah. <laughs> oh, he's going to eat the meat? Yep. So we get back to camp and he's like, all right, I'm going to make you eat the eyeball. I was like, all right, look, kid, if, I'm, if you're going to have me eat red meat and break uh -huh. my vows here, right. it's going to be some good stuff. Right. And so he's like, okay, fine. So him and his dad get some of the elk backstrap yep. and... Yeah, cooked it up and it was uh, really delicious. Mm -hmm. Definitely gave me a stomachache because totally. I was not used to it, but right. um, I made a deal with the kid and mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was overall an amazing hunting trip. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, even, even for myself, uh, you know, I, I, I get to experience a lot of hunting that I do for myself, mm -hmm. but watching people volunteer and come together uh, to participate in a hunt for this kid and to make sure that he gets an elk and has mm -hmm. this amazing experience yeah. was, was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you've experienced some trophy land hunting mm -hmm. where you see, you know, hundreds of elk at, at any given day. Right. Uh, and then I take you for my tag, which is a good unit. It's sure. not a trophy unit. What was the experience on that one day that you went with me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we went up right at sunrise, just the two of us, Tyler with all of his gear, me with all the camera gear. Um, and yeah, certainly a lot different, uh, a lot more physical. A lot of the hunting we were doing in the Owyhees was like buggy based, like you hike a hundred feet to the cliff next to the road, but it was pretty accessible, pretty mm -hmm. chill. Um, and then this was just like, Hey, we're uh, going straight up. Um, and yeah, just like, like a lot, a lot more sparse for sure. I mean, I remember coming up the hill and I kept getting whiffs of elk and, um, or deer. I could just smell game. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, like they're close. We could see all the tracks, see all the poop that was really recent. Mm -hmm. And then we get up there and we don't see anything except for a couple animals just shoot across a ridge. And that was it. That was it. Um, and I knew that was it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, we can do the other part of the video because there's no more animals here. Right. Um, I, it's a yeah. spot that, you know, when you're when you're hunting on public land and you learn these areas, you oftentimes learn if the elk aren't here, they're going to be here. If they're not there, they're going to be over there. And as we were hiking up this, I was looking at all the spots where they could be, knew that they <laughs> weren't there. And so I knew that they were at the very top. Mm -hmm. We get to the top and something spooked them. I don't know what it was. Right. I don't feel like it was us, but they blasted across and over the ridge and we're gone. And yep. I knew that's yeah, that the was hunt. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Now we just get to enjoy the hike down. Yeah. And that, that really made, made me appreciate it more because that's like, as you've said, a more realistic hunt for most people. I mean, mm -hmm. we were in a trophy unit in like August or something. Mm -hmm. Like they got a bunch of special permissions for this hunt. And you kept telling me, this isn't what it's going to be like when we go out. Right. It isn't going to be anything close to it. Yep. And yeah, it gives me a lot more respect and um, admiration for that dedication. Right. Um, Cause around the same time I had one of my buddies hit me up and it was his first time hunting too. And he got a deer and he lives right next to me. He's all right, I'm going to clean it. Come by. And yep. it's like, Oh cool. Like where's, where's our other friend that you went hunting with? Mm -hmm. like, oh, well he's still up there trying to get his. Yep. Um, and yeah, he was like for a full week, just, you know, sunrise to sunset, sleeping a couple hours and getting back up and doing it again, just to yeah, fill the freezer. And that's how it is. And mm -hmm. it's not from a lack of deer or elk. Um, no, it's there's, hard. there's a lot of hunters around here when they get to either a certain age or they get way out of shape. Um, they start blaming, you know, Idaho fishing game or the populations or wolves. They start mm -hmm. to blame all these things. 
Um, the populations are fine. Uh, you just have to get to them and learn these areas and put the time and the dedication in. Right. And you have to realize that you may not get one. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you going to do if you don't get one? Mm -hmm. What other, and especially if you're relying on your meat to come from this, uh, what's your plan B? Mm -hmm. What you can hunt grouse, you can hunt other things. You can fish for your food if you want. Um, but I think a lot of people get really disappointed oh, and sure. they start blaming everyone else when they just need to be getting in the mountains and putting in the time. Mm -hmm. And it's cool that you got to see that because that first hunt, it was like, yeah, this is not. Oh, yeah, it was, it, it was like everything was totally perfect. <laughs> right. And it was still hard. It still took us four more than four days because. Yeah. I was there for like three days or you were there for like three days. I was there for four days mm -hmm. and everyone else had been there for a week before mm -hmm. still going out every day and scouting and glassing yeah. stuff and still took them up until the day before we left to get it. Right. Well, and even thinking of where that elk dropped, um, I mean, it was maybe a mile away from the road mm -hmm. and how much effort it took to get all that meat out. Yep. And even these guys who are very country, they've done this a million times, the care that they took for making sure to get every scrap oh, they yeah. could off that elk and pack it into the packs. And then the hike out with these giant, like we were carrying camera gear, nothing compared to what they were carrying, which was 60 to yep. 80 oh, yeah. pound packs filled with meat out. About um, a mile on a super side hilly slope in the dark. Right. <laughs> Sagebrush, yeah. Yeah, and a group of like, still we had like 12 people out yep. there. Um, all like pretty much grown men with full backpacks of meat and just hunk and as down. soon as they get to the car they're dead <laughs> oh. yeah and that's that is how it's supposed to be mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of different types of hunting there's the stuff that we do in the northwest um which is harder uh mm -hmm. i would say it's it's harder to find the animals it's easier to get shots on them mm. um then you have places like the midwest where you're hunting on a lot of private land there is open land but it's kind of uh, a shit show as mm -hmm. far as just people shooting and not a ton of access to public land right at least in the places that i've been um but you're oftentimes hunting in tree stands or blinds or something like that i think that's where some of that um redneck like drinking beer shooting whatever walks sure. by status comes from mm -hmm. because you're you are putting in effort as far as you're sitting sometimes in zero degree weather waiting for animals to walk past and to have that drive to just sit there for four or five hours waiting for these animals in that type of temperature can feel tough. Mm -hmm. And it probably is for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's where they oftentimes lose their sense of, uh, of the effort that it takes to mm -hmm. get some of these animals out. Um, so I think, I think people should switch it up. I think yep. uh, us from the Northwest should go experience some hunting in the, in the Midwest mm -hmm. um, and see if we are actually missing something. Is this a lot harder than we thought? And definitely those guys should come here and try hunting out here mm -hmm. because it's just different. And I think it puts it, I, I think it puts it back into perspective of mm -hmm. how this should be, what it should be to actually hunt and gather your food. Yep. And, and then the butchering process is an entirely separate conversation. Um, taking every single ounce of meat that you possibly can off mm -hmm. this animal. And some people even cut up the bones and will uh, actually cook the marrow mm -hmm. in, in the bone. Um, 
I mean, that's next level, but I think that's where I'm headed. Like totally. that's, that should be the next thing that I start doing to fully eat from, you know, what is it? Nose to tail. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's important for hunters to learn other methods, but mm -hmm. really to learn from hunters that care about the meat and the sustainability of it and making the most out of it that they possibly can. Mm -hmm. There's no, the nothing on a deer, nothing on an elk that's red should just be left. Totally. It should all be taken. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hope more people start adopting that type of lifestyle. Yeah. If, if they're willing to take responsibility of the mm -hmm. life that they're, that they're taking. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes there's that disconnect. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully more hunters can start looking at, should I even be eating meat? Or should I eat meat mm -hmm. and taking responsibility for that? Sure. Yeah. I probably said that like five times, but that's <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I remember back when I was a kid, mm -hmm. um, I remember this happening a few times. And I think this is the way that people looked at hunting and fishing as very redneck. Mm -hmm. um, I was hiking out some very popular trails to get to the spots that I wanted to get to. Um you know, easiest way was on these trails. So you'd start on these hiking trails and then you'd veer off up a mountain. Mm -hmm. But I remember coming down a couple times and whether I had a deer with me or I didn't, uh, I would actually have hikers say things to me like, Ooh, that's not for me. Stuff like that. Right. And it, and it, it sunk in my head at a young age, like 14, 15. I remember thinking I'm, I'm a bad person mm. to these people. That's what I kept thinking. Right. I'm like bad or, or gross to them. Like I'm doing something disgusting that they hate. Um, and now I can't find a single person that would ever think that. What do you think uh, is the cause of some of that perspective changing for, uh, for outdoorsmen, but especially in the hunting and fishing industries? Hmm. I mean, it's kind of hard to say because I'm not fully in on either side. I'm kind of like in this weird in-between space. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I think I've seen with no real numbers to back this up. I feel like I've seen hunting and, and fishing, but hunting in particular really kind of blow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's people wanting to live a more sustainable lifestyle. I don't really know. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just seems like it's a more popular thing. Like you see a lot of people up in Ketchum, like, you know, more wealthy, bougie crowd, mm -hmm. resort oriented people spending a ton of money on all this new hunting gear and mm -hmm. starting to do this and starting to do that. Um, so maybe it's just one of those things that as more people do it, people have kind of similar realizations as myself or in whatever context it happens for them. And they experience it themselves instead of just seeing some redneck dude walk down by their bike, you know, with like a rifle on his shoulder and that being the only experience connection to that. Um, and then them actually doing it. Right. But yeah, because I remember, I remember. Um, there was a hiking group when I was 15 years old, I'd shot a deer mm -hmm. and I was dragging it down the hiking trail. Uh, I had <laughs> maybe a mile left down this hiking trail and I saw this group coming and I remember feeling such anxiety of like, what are they going to say? Right. Their dogs are running at mm -hmm. me, of course, to, you know, bite the deer and I don't care. But I, I, all I remember is thinking, what are they going to think? And I remember they veered way off the trail and it was because. I think they were, I felt like they were concerned for their safety. Like they weren't, didn't feel safe with a guy hiking around with a right. rifle on his back. So they wanted to get far away and it could have been that they were just trying to get their dogs away. And that's sure. my perception of them. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then this year I'm out and, and this has been a few years where mm-hmm. I have not found a single hiking person that said one thing to me, whether I'm packing meat out um, or whether I'm just hiking out with a rifle on my back. And this year I had a guy uh, call me off the mountain. Like he was like, Hey, come down here, come down here. And so I walked down thinking, oh, what is this guy going to say? And he goes, I just wanted to know if you've gotten anything. And I was like, no, I haven't. It's, you know, I have a couple of days left. And mm-hmm. he goes, I have a ton of elk and deer on my property right now. He goes, which, what unit are you hunting? I told him the unit. And he goes, yep, that's my unit. If you want, you can come down and get any of those deer. Whoa. And I was like, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm definitely in this for the hiking experience, yeah. wanting to get out in the mountains and hunt for it. And he goes, well, I respect that. I just wanted to offer it up. That's awesome. And he continued hiking. And I was in complete shock. That oh, yeah. is in direct contrast from what I believed people mm-hmm. perceived hunting as. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was a good experience. And I'm loving this transition of, of people accepting hunting and mm-hmm. fishing as a legitimate uh, way of sustainability. Um, but I'm also loving seeing really good hunters get into the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, this year, I don't know if you and I have talked about this. Um, this year, Idaho made a big change and they cut down the amount of non-residents by a ton Mm. that are allowed to participate in hunting Mm -hmm. and open tags and open tag is where you can just go over the counter. I think it's actually called over the counter tags Mm -hmm. where you just go and purchase an unlimited amount of tags per per one person gets one tag, Mm -hmm. but there's unlimited amounts. So people out of state were going crazy coming to Idaho as kind of their last resort. Mm -hmm. If they didn't get their controlled hunts or their lottery hunts in these different States, they knew they could always just go to Idaho. Um, and so Idaho was getting jam packed with hunters, uh, which it didn't, it didn't affect me. I'm most of the time hunting in places where I don't see people, Mm -hmm. uh, this year though, with the amount of, uh, limitations on non-resident hunters, there were a shit ton of people in the mountains that were up at the tops of the mountains. Yeah. And it took me a long time to figure out what is happening. There's lower amounts of people in the mountains, but they're all in the spots that I'm hunting. And I think I realized when you limit the amount of hunters in a state, it all of a sudden gravitates or pulls in a bunch of hunters that are, are really good Mm -hmm. and want to hunt where there's not going to be anybody else. And so now we have this new level of hunters in our area that are coming from either out of state or finally residents are going, oh, there's less people. I'm going to finally start hunting in here that are hiking to the tops of these peaks that are getting to 10,000 feet and hunting deer that I normally I'm up by myself. And now I'm looking up and seeing those guys already up there. And I think a lot of hunters are discouraged by that. Mm. To me, I get excited about it because it makes me feel like I have to push myself more. Yeah. I have to be in better shape than them. I have to wake up earlier. I have to go farther in. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that continues on. That trend continues on. So we have these elite hunters in mm-hmm. the mountains that are getting you know, getting the game. Mm-hmm. And the ones that aren't elite, they got to go somewhere else. <laughs> Like that's natural what, that's selection or something. Yeah. That's my yeah. hope. Maybe they'll start just eating plants. Like, I mean, maybe that, yeah. like if they're not getting the meat that they need to, maybe they'll realize that the next, you know, I believe that hunting is very sustainable, mm-hmm. but I think after that, buying something from the store is not an option. I would go to plants and fruits and right. stuff like that. Um, if, if, if I didn't have this option, mm-hmm. 
Um, so I'm hoping that it leads to more sustainability, the more competition in the mountains, the more people at these higher elevations, mm -hmm. um, pushes the people who've just been able to drive the roads and shoot their animals. Yeah. And I mean, I mean who knows if it'll actually work out this way, but you might run into the situation where those more experienced hunter, more experienced hunters with, you know, more time under their belts, more hunts are going to do stuff the right way yeah. and kind of every, you know, because it's becoming more popular and also more pressured, mm -hmm. people are going to see that as the forefront of it. They're not going to see some, you know, like random redneck dude driving a truck around, blaming anything that goes. They see someone who's super dedicated, super experienced and doing everything right. And that might um, both like increase the amount of people hunting, but then also get a better sentiment out there of what it is and how you do it, which right. would be kind of cool. Well, and I think, I think hunting, oftentimes you find these mentor, mentory mm -hmm. um, relationships where you have an experienced hunter who takes out, you know, kids or mm -hmm. people who are just trying to get into hunting. And you're going to learn, we have fish, we have, you know, fishing game education courses and stuff like that, but you get the very basics right. from that. You don't get the ethics. You don't get the, you know, even some animals, like you can shoot a bear and not harvest the meat. Mm -hmm. um, you can take the hide and not the meat, uh, in Idaho legally. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's so important to have that that those hunters that really care about the animals, uh, and most hunters who are hiking to the tops of these mountains, they care about oh, yeah. those animals. Totally. Uh, if they didn't, they would just be driving around the road and wouldn't really care if they got much, they can go buy beef if they want. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that that's what it leads to as well is this education from really ethical hunters mm -hmm. who care about the meat to the mentorees that mm -hmm. are just coming up and learning. Right. But I think we're transitioning from, people who and a lot of adults didn't ever have to do a hunter's education but i think we're transitioning from people who uh are just out in the mountains shooting like crazy to now this is an uh, a really active hard event to mm -hmm. to get the meat that you want for the year and it's respected yeah totally um, and i think like you and i were talking about meat eaters mm -hmm. shows like meat eaters yep. have done that a lot mm-hmm um, you, I mean, you watch meat eater, right? Yeah. I, I started watching it after the elk hunt yeah. before you kept telling me to watch. And I was like, oh, I don't want to watch like a, <laughs> a meat show. I don't want to watch a meat show, Tyler. Right. And then afterwards I was like, wait, this kind of looks, uh, totally my alley. <laughs> and going back to what you're saying about, you know, hunting in Midwest versus out East versus whatever, it was really interesting seeing their different strategies. Mm -hmm. They're different, you know, even like the way a Sitka deer in the Chesapeake Bay is hunted versus a mule mm -hmm. out here. Uh, yeah, just like super fascinating. I mean, it kind of, it, it is similar to fishing in that way that if you're, you know, going for white fish, you're going to throw a nymph rig towards the bottom of the river. If you want to catch a huge salmon, you're going to strip a streamer. If you mm -hmm. want a steelhead, you need a steelhead fly. Um, that, I don't know. It's just like so cool that there's so many different, uh, ways to do it out there and different rules. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. The culture goes deep for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then another thought that I just kind of had is I feel like a lot of because hunting is so, especially like the sort of high altitude elk deer hunting around Idaho, I see a lot of people who are kind of into like gnarly rock climbing or mountaineering or alpine skiing, getting into it for that reason mm -hmm. that it is like remarkably hard. But then at the same time, they're kind of, there can be a reward for it. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, you ski a huge line, you get the pictures, the story, whatever. And it's, it's pretty rad, but mm -hmm. 
um, I think people are starting to kind of appreciate that you do get something out of it that mm. is maybe a little bit more meaningful than even skiing the line you've been looking at your right. whole life. Yep. Um, that's a really good point. Yeah. I just talked to someone yesterday. Um, he's 69 years old, turning 70. He said for his 70th you know, year, mm-hmm. he wants to bag one more peak. And he's a very avid mountain climber. Um, but he goes, I either want to do Bora or Heimann mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and then he goes, I'd love to do the hunting that you do. He goes, it's taken me this long to realize mm-hmm. that I can bag these peaks and I get a, I get a picture at the top of the peak and I go home and I remember that peak and he goes, and that's great. He goes, but what if I did the same type of hike and ended up getting something out of it, like was able to take mm-hmm. home meat. He's like, that's kind of like hiking to the, I said, like a lot. <laughs> it's kind of like going to the top of a mountain and finding gold. Yep. And that's, that is how I relate it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amory and I save a ton of money by the red meat that we get. Oh, um, sure. Especially when we're not spending it on a bunch of hunting and fishing stuff, <laughs> which is fun too. But we, right. we go out into the wild and we find this piece of gold that is, actual has actual monetary value to us but it's it's in what we're consuming um well, even more than monetary value i mean it's it's uh subsistence like it's it's yeah. it's it able to make you live it's better than gold really yeah i think right yeah totally you can't eat gold no no <laughs> um tell me a little bit about uh your fly fishing endeavors and what you're thinking about for the next coming years yeah uh, so in two days, I'm moving up to Bozeman, Montana to go ski instruct at Big Sky. And as anybody who fly fishes knows, Montana is like the epicenter of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm just super stoked to get out there and hopefully develop some sort of like mentor mentee relationship with someone because mm-hmm. at least for me, like doing fly fishing research online just feels, it's just hard, honestly, because it's just so kind of like unique to where you're fishing, who you're fishing with, your gear to some degree, but it just, you know, some dude fishing a lake in the Midwest with a fly rod feels very different than me trying to fish for salmon, like in some big mountain stream somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm just bringing my gear up. I don't, I don't have that much, mm-hmm. but I have a, you know, a bag, a rod and a reel and some fly line and just going to go for it. Do you have specific rivers or lakes that you're planning on hitting? I, I don't even know the names of anything, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But I just know it's a really big thing up there, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited to get more into it. Um, because, yeah, I don't know. Fly fishing for me is interesting. Part of me really enjoys doing it with other people, mm-hmm. and part of me enjoys doing it by myself. Right. Um, there's definitely been a lot of times this summer where I don't, like, really have very many people to fly fish with here. So mm-hmm. I just, all right, you know, before work, after work, I'm going out. Um and it is just a very unique experience too. Like, um, you get something, right? You've been fishing all day and there's a huge adrenaline rush, no matter how big it is. Like a tiny dink comes out of the water this big and I'm still just pumped. Like I can feel <laughs> it, you know? And and it's it's just interesting because I think a lot of times with skiing, there's a huge, a huge part of it for me is like skiing with friends, right? Mm-hmm. A huge powder day. You hear everyone hooting and hollering. Yeah, man, like hit that cliff, go for mm-hmm. it. Like you pumping your friends up, your friends pumping you up. And then with fly fishing, you know, like full adrenaline rush, like something big on the line. I look around, it's just me. Mm. Um, 
And I don't know. I, I don't. I, it's hard to put words into it, but it's it doesn't feel wrong. It's not like oh, I wish like my buddy was here to take a picture of me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's still just like just as meaningful, if not more. That um, like all my attention is directed at the river, at this fish, and yeah. Once you reeled in, I you know hold it or look at it in the net for a couple seconds, and then just let it go on its way. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to really feel gratitude and really just take that moment in. Right. Um, Cause there's a lot to it. I mean, like I've said, I've seen my friend just robo fish and mm-hmm. not catch a single thing. And so when I finally do catch something, uh, I try to make sure that I'm, I'm present for that moment to really remember it and feel mm-hmm. it. Cause yeah. where, where do you think that feeling that adrenaline rush, that feeling of excitement comes from on catching a fish? Because it's a hundred percent present, even for me mm-hmm. who's fished my whole life. Um, Every single time I catch a fish, doesn't matter how big yeah. it is. There's that level, there's that jolt that yeah. runs through yeah. your body. Uh, where do you think that comes from? It's almost like like a a jolt of excitement about the possibility of having a fish. Because just because you hook one, as you know, it means absolutely nothing to whether or not that's going to be in your net in five, ten minutes. Right. Um, and I think it just so much like skill and patience that gets put into it because at least for fly fishing, I've been out there for four or five hours and haven't, you know, it's totally quiet. You're just doing literally the exact same thing over and over and over and over. And then all of a sudden it just happens, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've had this weird thing where, and maybe this is like one of those things where you look back on it, remember it differently, but so many times where I've been really trying hard, trying to get the technique right, put the fly right on the seam in the second that I look away and go, gosh, I wish I had a fish, something just hits. Right. It's always like the moment where I look away or think like, oh, what if they just bit right now? Mm-hmm. And it happens. Right. Um, yeah, I don't it's know. It's like you're feeling it. You're connected. It's weird, but it's like, it's it's not the connection. It's not like, okay, now is when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's almost always I look away for a second or I'm like, oh, like I guess I'm going to go to the next <laughs> spot. And at that very moment where that thought's going through my head, you know, the tip goes down, mm-hmm. I see the line go up. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's pretty remarkable cause it's really, I wasn't expecting that mm-hmm. going into fishing, having done a lot of skiing and mountain biking where you're going fast, like it's trees whizzing by you, huge drop, mm-hmm. like that will get your adrenaline running like a hundred percent of the time. Right. But I wasn't expecting, you know, when you're just having a chill day fishing, when you click that too, just every, you know, you feel that adrenaline dump, it just goes, mm. um, and not many people would really categorize mountain fly fishing as like an action sport per se. Right. Um, but it definitely has parts of those other sports that I do in it for sure. That's, that's interesting. And I've always, I've always thought that there's gotta be something built into us mm-hmm. that, you know, as, as humans, when you catch something or you kill something, you make that shot and it's successful. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's so interesting even before, you know, a deer runs across a mountainside and stops and you have a shot at it. Mm -hmm. The excitement that you feel is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. It literally makes you shake Mm -hmm. and you have to control that shake in order to make a good shot. And then when you make that shot, there's an emotion dump that Mm -hmm. happens and sometimes it's sometimes if you're if you're connected to nature and you're connected to the animal, you feel some sadness, mm-hmm. you feel excitement, um, and and it's an emotion that needs its own name, right? But I don't know what that right. is because it's just a mix of so many things. 
Um, and then there's even emotion as you walk up to that animal, as mm -hmm. you experience it, as you're holding it in your hand, there's this emotional experience of, of feeling proud of yourself. Um, but also feeling like you've provided something to yourself or your family, but there's, it's even like deep at a core level that the excitement comes from something that's deep in there. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if it goes back to like hunter and gather days. Yeah. Um, you know, the excitement that they must've felt when they got something because they depended on it. They needed oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. for sustenance. Uh, you know, they couldn't just go to the store and buy something if they didn't get it. They had yeah, that's to have it. it. Yeah. Um, it must go back to back to those days and has just stuck with us mm -hmm. through evolution. Um, because that's the only thing I can right. people who've never experienced that, never caught a fish, never um, you know, done any sort of hunting. I don't think they've experienced that type of excitement. Mm -hmm. It's just different. Totally. And it's cool how that kind of transcends culture and language mm -hmm. and everything, because in every country in the world and every community, um, you know, somebody's going to be hunting or fishing and I'm not too well versed on it, but mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's like that same sort of core sentiment and feeling definitely runs throughout all that. Right. Um, and it's, so it's interesting to see when people travel to go hunting or travel to go fishing and they, mm -hmm. you know, meet some super cool guide that's from a totally different place, totally different background, but yet they're like immediately like, you know, like family, like working together mm -hmm. on this mission to either catch some sort of fish or to, you know, track this animal or whatever, but it's pretty rad. It is. It's crazy how quickly you bond with those types mm -hmm. of people, even on the, the hunt that we went yeah. on. Um, it feels like you could reach out to any of those mm -hmm. guys and they're going to help you with anything. Oh, yeah. And we had just met them for sure. Um, and it's weird to think too, that there's this really tough, um, exterior on a lot of these guys, mm -hmm. like really tough, but then you get them on camera and you ask them about something emotional and their emotions immediately like, run out. Boom. Um, and, and yeah, I'm sure you're referencing when we were, we interviewed, um, one of the uh, parents of the kid on the hunt. And then there was actually a son and his dad who had been on the hunt before mm -hmm. also from the East coast who were volunteering, came, volunteered on totally their own money because mm -hmm. that experience was so meaningful to them mm -hmm. that they felt it was their responsibility to provide that experience for the next family coming right. through. Yep. Um, and yeah, we interviewed them about like what this meant to them and totally good. I think full men, full grown men should cry all the time. It's a good thing. <laughs> right. But yeah, just like these, these total dudes just immediately just opening up and you can see that like emotion dump. Mm -hmm. And the fact, I think that, they felt comfortable with us mm. was an important factor in them having that emotional vulnerability right. instead of just trying to be like, yeah, it was great. Whatever. Yeah. We asked, we asked this guy like two questions and he immediately started tearing up and then he steps away from camera. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't want to be on camera while he's tearing up. So he steps away, he starts pounding beer and I look at him. I'm like, <laughs> you know that that's going to make you more emotional. I just need to get through this. Let me drink right. three beers really quick. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> gets back sure. on camera and then is an emotional wreck. Mm -hmm. But you see even the other hunters who are there come like they're actually coming around him. They're all giving him hugs. They're patting him on the back as he goes. Mm -hmm. um, it's a the exterior of a lot of these guys has been conditioned from the hunting and fishing that they do. They're strong outdoor men, mm -hmm. but it hasn't shaped their emotional or their emotional persona towards other people, which yeah. is different than you see in a lot of places. Yeah. A lot of guys put on this fake 
they want to be tough. They oh, want to be sure. tough outdoorsmen. So they think that they have to be tough emotionally yep. as well. And when you see a true tough outdoorsman, they're the most emotional, mushy people you'll mm-hmm. ever meet. And that's, I think, partly what gravitates me towards some some uh, some genuine human emotion. Right. And I feel like you find that in a lot of hunting groups for some reason. Totally. And, and I, mean, I feel like that emotion comes out more than I've seen in like skiing or climbing. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a number of people I've met that are you know, you meet someone and you can immediately tell that they're special. Like mm-hmm. they're just totally unique breed of person. Mm-hmm. You meet those people, but I kind of think that rawness doesn't always show itself in ski, at least skiing, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I feel pretty good about talking about. Right. Right. Um, you just don't see that sort of stuff all the time because mm-hmm. you ski a huge line and you're stoked. I mean, what is there to cry about? Right. You know what I mean? And that's already something to cry about, but yeah. it's not the same sort of thing where, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit less raw. It's like a hobby that has that emotional element if you're doing it right, mm-hmm. which is different than a lot of other hobbies or sports. Um, you f- you know, in sports, especially in competition, you feel that emotion when you win or lose oh, sure. or something sure. like that. But in a lot of places, it's you almost have like push your emotions down in mm-hmm. order to achieve these things that you want to achieve. And with hunting, it's not like that. You you use that mm-hmm. um, as part of your experience because you're in there for you're in the mountains for the experience yeah. way less than you are for killing something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, oftentimes I would consider us glorified hikers in a lot of ways because we hike so much out of the year. And then that one time we actually get an animal and bring it back home. Most of the time we're just hiking and, and you can't do that over and over unless you, are loving the emotional mm-hmm. experience that you're having. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that can be unique, um, mm-hmm. to hunting and, and sometimes even fishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially for fly fishing. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not a big fly fisherman, so there's not, but I, every fly fisherman I talk to, they have that emotional connection to the river. They mm-hmm. feel a part of it when they're, when yep, they're totally participating in it. And there's an art to it. Certainly. Like art. Oh, yeah. Art in the outdoors. Uh, hunting, I can't say there's an art to hunting um, like there is with fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Even slow-mo footage of a fly fisherman is artful. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I, I don't know. I think I think it's cool to, to think about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. We've covered a lot. Um, I can't think of anything else that I want to talk about. Unless you got some stuff. Shout out to Sawyer for the cool mugs. Oh, yeah. Sawyer, the kid, the nine-year-old, um, got us these Yeti mugs that say hunting, fishing, and loving every day. I guess it's a country song. I'm not even a country guy. I uh, love it. That was When they pulled awesome those out, mug. I was blown away. <laughs> no way. Yeah. It's the coolest thing I've ever it's gotten. It's pretty sweet. I and we got those day. sick uh, camo flame orange hats. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, those yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. I hope we get to keep doing those those mm-hmm. hunts because that is, those are amazing projects. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have to link in this podcast to the video when yeah, it's done for sure. We're getting close, like another month, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> okay, well that's all I got. Sweet. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah. And then as you continue on this journey, mm-hmm. if you find yourself, you know, getting really into fly fishing or really into whatever, mm-hmm. even if it's filming hunting. Yeah. 
it'd be awesome to have you back on and yeah, recap totally. some new experiences that you're Absolutely. Sweet, man. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.